Everyone, how's it going? Pretty good? Hanging in there? Daylight savings time, getting adjusted. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm really excited about today's class. This is the first sort of time we have delved into um, having a class like this where we really highlight and focus our queer community. So thank you for being here to support that effort. I'm really excited for the two speakers we have here today. They are doing this work in the community um, and it is a beautiful thing to see. I'm really glad that they're here at Modern Mystic talking about such a relevant topic, um, which is, you know, we chatted about this a little bit at the beginning of class, which is the structures we've built to support our wellness are not working. And we have a chance to look at not only reevaluating those structures, but looking at who is inherently um, not, who is inherently removed from those structures. And that's what this class is about today. Um, they have some great content for you. Um, and I'm just very, very excited that you're here. Thank you for being here. And um, without any further ado, if you would put your hands together and welcome Queer Cultures to Modern Mystic. Hey. <laughs> Hi guys, my name is Quest Hunter and this is my lovely co-founder of Queer Cultures DNA's COTAS. And we are, of course, the founders of Queer Cultures that centers people of color in wellness. Um, we thank you for coming and we will thank you for understanding today's classes about what the eight dimensions of wellness are. And I'll give you a little bit of information about myself. I'm originally from New York. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And I found myself as a gender non-conforming person around the age of eight years old, realizing that, um, that I did not see myself as just male or female, or I did not want to construct myself around the understandings of what it meant to be a girl or what it meant to be a boy, but recognize that I just wanted to be gender non-conforming. Um, and in that two-spiritedness, I realized, and actually in church, born and raised in the church, um, I realized that if God was genderless in many ways, that I too could be genderless if we are made in the image of God. And so I started to keep exploring that identity, and I actually ended up going to um, Emory University, Candler School of Theology, and got a master's in divinity to explore the many different images of what God is and how it can work within communities. Because I felt that if people in community understood how God looked or, or felt or could be in many different forms, they could find that same kind of self-understanding and identification for themselves. And so that's what my work is, to really to dismantle what uh, organized religion has done for people in terms of church hurt, to heal people in their regards of ancestral trauma in which they have dealt with, and then mainly to actually to help people to really identify for themselves who the divine is for themselves, and thus walk into that light. So. Hi, Dionise Costa here. Um, I am a curandera, a healer, um, very grounded and rooted in my Boricua ancestry, uh, Puerto Rican for the English speakers. Um, and I'm a proud queer. And my passion in life is really to help people heal from trauma and to fully embody and self-express who they are authentically. Um, I have um, many, many years as a sexuality educator and I have a master's in social work and I really have combined all of these tools and skills to curate um, coaching and healing that is focused on um, 
integration for people, right? And really bringing together all the parts of yourself and figuring out who am I, right? And how do I best serve the world and best serve myself through my inborn uh, talents and gifts. And a little bit about the, the specificity of the work, I do work on the subconscious, unconscious, and conscious minds. So yes, we have three minds, um, and today we'll talk a little bit about some of those components, um, but also you can always come up and ask questions and have questions throughout um, to get to know a bit more about our work. So today we will explore what the eight dimensions of wellness are. And then we also really want to talk about what the state of wellness is for the queer community. Um, we want to recognize what the problem is. In the United States, we have 56% of LGBTQ communities who have been confronted with discrimination within the medical field, within the medical treatment of some nature. 34% of Latina exports are just uninsured. 15% of black people are uninsured as well, and 21% of Native Americans also struggle with having this issue. Within the country as a whole, 8.5% of the entire country, people who are LGBTQ identified, are not insured and do not have access to proper health care on a regular basis. Our community just simply does not receive the proper health care that they need and often are deterred from seeking health care. Um, so, here in these statistics, uh, how have you, how these personal statistics maybe have in, impacted you? Have you ever gone to the doctor? And I think that this comes down to even just a person of color. It doesn't have to be an issue of whether or not you're queer or not. But also, is, especially, we have many different ways that we can go to the doctor, and sometimes we may not have that kind of conversation with our doctor. So, how have these uh, perspectives ever faced you in any kind of manner? Or? Welcome, welcome. Or are they surprising to you to realize that 56%? I have some head nods and such of that nature. No, not surprising. Hold on. Oh, I was just saying that it's not surprising because I work in a hospital. So yes, that, that seems to be the, the, the norm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And also going to the doctor uh, as a black woman, you know, you're always told if your blood pressure's up a little bit that you're going to be this, you're going to be that, you can't get healthy. And I, I argue with my doctor all the time and prove him wrong. So, yeah. Anyone else? I had the opportunity, well, not opportunity, but she was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and she's Spanish. I noticed that. Um, there was a lot of pushback in regards to treatment and things like that. And I've seen it more so face, I've seen it more face to face in that environment. With her obtaining treatment, um, the aspect of um, experimental type of di different dynamics that certain body structures are made for and others are not. Um, and not being as diverse in that regard, in regards to treatment and things like that. Here, consciously, I'm just more um, attuned to the type of doctors that I want to kind of connect myself with, that have a better understanding of how I see health, and then just kind of mirror that, and that we kind of like co-create on those bases. 
Thank you. So it's, it's, it's many different ways. You can go to the doctor, you can realize that sometimes that your doctor doesn't understand your body, doesn't understand your cultural aspects, doesn't understand maybe the types of food that you eat, maybe doesn't even understand or even respect your pronouns if you're going to a doctor and trying to, and you're a trans person and do not, you know, have that understanding of like, this is how I walk through the world and pretty much denies you. And so that happens in so many communities as at times. Um, I personally have been uninsured and know the, about the anxiety of just even going to the doctor. Um, so whether or not I, uh, I get a, a common cold and the cold gets way too worse, I don't want that bill. <laughs> That's just plain and simple. Um, and most of our communities are dealing with these fears of doctors for the historical mentalities and then it's also for the financial real, realizations of it as well. So Queer Cultures is dedicated to ending racism, sexism, feminism, body shaming, homophobia, transphobia in our society while also combating the shame and the negative health impacts that often come with our queer identities. We strive to empower queer people of color to redefine and tap into their ancestral roots and traditions to emotionally, mentally, and physically elevate the LGBTQ nation. We're creating a movement, yes, a movement, to engage in caring for oneself as an act of political warfare. This is a deep teaching of Audre Lorde. Woo -woo. And um, we center this work through healers of color, people of color, and leaders of color. So we always often get the question of like, what is queer? <laughs> you know, uh, what, how do we understand that? We've heard the term been used in a very derogatory manner at one point in time. We now hear it as one of the LGBTQ, as one of the, I like to call the alphabet crew of folks, um, uh, the Q and the understanding of, of the spectrum of identity and sexuality. And so historically, we know that queer has been something that's odd, different, Main, outside of the mainstream. Um, early explorers actually used the word queer to identify indigenous people and labeling them queer or strange. So even persons who are just black in early writings and what that looked like was used as queer. And so now it is the word that is being used by the LGBTQ community and has been taken back to take away the negativity of it, but now to be used as a statement of pride. It is used in such a way that is inclusive, incorporating all the LGBTQI, and we'll talk about, and that's the entire queer community. The queer community has become an umbrella term for both the sexuality as well as the identity. So somebody may be hurt, so somebody use the term gender queer, or I am a queer person, so that you can be gender queer, meaning in their identity, or gender, or, or just, um, excuse me, or queer just as in your sexuality as well. We at Queer Cultures believe that queerness is a theory, its theology is a resource, and can be used as a tool for social change and as a healing element for humanity. So what is wellness, right? Um, so often when we think of wellness, we instantly go to our physical health, or our nutrition, what type of workout we do, um, our exercise regimen, weight management, ooh, I'm a, I'm, I'm, my BMI's off, right? Um, but it is actually so much more than that. It is about a holistic integration of 
physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual um, well-being, right? It's about fueling the body, nurturing the spirit, and engaging the mind. We believe that it is an evergreen process, it ever changes, and an active process, right? So it's not something that you are well today and not tomorrow, um, or you know, you're, if you're well today, you're well for the rest of your life. It's actually a daily um, activity and a daily process in which you are striving for health, but it's more about living life fully, right? And really living a life that is curated, um, a plan that you have created for yourself that meets your needs on all of those levels. So what is queer wellness? It is actually centering one queerness in the pursuit of wellness. It is honoring that you as a queer person has a specific needs and desires that are beyond the scope of traditional medicine. To mentally and physically engage your wellness, you need to practice it. And we are practicing it by identifying and knowing who you are so that you are stewards in your wellness. It recognizes the systematic oppression that you engage or are impacted against your wellness. And it is the process of undoing the damage through healing that is integrated in your power to actually be fully authentic in who you are through your body and your identity. So that is what queer wellness is. It's, always, it's an encompassing means of wellness to walk truly as yourself. So now we're going to step into the eight dimensions of wellness. And in exploring, so we're going to start with the physical dimension. Now, the way that I define it is caring in the now, right? A lot of the time when we are in pain, it is because we are in the past. And if we are in the future thinking, about our physical body and our physical well-being, we are in anxiety. So that is the number one way for you to figure out if you're staying in the present is, am I in pain? Am I in anxiety? If you are, just come right back into this moment right now. What does your physical body need in this moment? Maybe it's you need a jacket, <laughs> right? Maybe it's you need a cup of tea. Um, and just honor that. Honor where your body is in this moment. So another part of physical well-being is touch. You know, studies show that we scientifically as a society are touch deprived. And the ramifications and the impact of being touch deprived uh, impact our wellness and impact our health outcomes. So I want you to take a moment right now and come back into your body. Feel into your breath. Sit with your desires. And feel what does your body feel like right now. You can close your eyes or keep them open, whatever feels more comfortable. And what do you want to feel like in your body? Right? Rather than focusing on you know, numbers, what do you want to feel in your body? Perhaps you want to know what it feels like to be still, 
What does stillness feel like in my body? Or what does laughter feel like in my body? I want to feel giddy. When you connect to how you want to feel versus a numeric goal, you're actually more likely to take steps and action towards that feeling. And once you get there, you'll know more accurately and feel more accomplished in that feeling, right? Because you can be very, you know, all the numbers could be right, but if you're depressed and lethargic and drained, the numbers don't really matter because you still feel crappy. Whereas if you're like, okay, I want to feel ener energized and enthusiastic every day, that is something you can measure on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Moment to moment. Am I in alignment? Am I feeling enthusiastic and energized? If not, what can I do right now, right? Staying in the present. What can I do right now to shift into that? Forget about how you felt a minute ago, right? A minute ago, you might have been lethargic, but what can you do right now? So take a moment and appreciate yourself. Give yourself a hug. And thank your body for being here, for being present, for getting out of bed, for showing up to, to learn, right? For being attentive and a, a student today. And if you are so bold, I want to demonstrate a heart hug. And a heart hug scientifically is proven to create an energy exchange between two people. And when you hold it for 30 to 90 seconds, um, it really does give you a burst of endorphins and endorphins make you happy. And I don't know about y'all, but we can all use a little more happiness in our day. So um, to go into a heart hug, you wanna go heart to heart. So you're gonna put almost uh, left shoulder to right shoulder or no, left to left. And hold it. Hmm. Yummy. Uh, so if you want to try that with one of your neighbors, go ahead and do so right now. We'll give you a moment to do so. And if you're listening to the podcast, go find someone to do this with because heart hugs are medicine for the soul. So for those listening, instantly you can see smiles forming across the room as people are heart hugging. And that is the, the power and the impact of sharing a hug with a stranger or with a friend or a loved one. It instantly brings connection and deepens uh, your ability to be vulnerable, to be intimate on a human level. We have some questions. 
Um, so the idea of like touch deprivation is really interesting to me. I'm curious because you said at the beginning that you're, a lot of the work you do is trauma informed. Can you talk a little bit about trauma informed touch um, as it relates to like consent and those type of things? Yeah, that's a great one. Um, so a lot of us have trauma and that has to do with why we're so touch deprived, right? We shy away from touch um, because touch has been used against us in many ways. Um, and, you know, I'm a trained professional cuddlist and in my work as, as a cuddlist, I have truly found that touch and cuddling and, and being held is one of the deepest forms of healing that you can uh, bring to someone who has physical trauma. You hold so much of your trauma in your cellular level, right? At the most microscopic, you know, atomic level of your cells. And, you know, it could just be hiding there for, for decades without you noticing it. Um, but the ways that it shows up is like, you flinch when someone goes to touch you. And, um, you know, you don't wanna be around people and things of that nature. Uh, and even in intimacy, you know, you might not be able to orgasm because you just can't completely surrender to the sensations that are coming up in your body. Um, and they can be triggering. However, you know, touch is a cure for this. And I believe that when you engage in it intentionally with someone who creates a safe space, uh, it does heal. Uh, personally, I have worked with people who are diagnosed with HIV or AIDS and have struggled with touch and you know, all of the stigma that comes with that. Uh, we presented at a conference earlier this year on uh, HIV AIDS and had a cuddle puddle uh, and that was transformative. It changed the entire atmosphere of the conference after that because people really got to heal some of those wounds and there were people there who, you know, had been uh, through some sexual trauma and were really skeptical of, about whether or not they could go there, and they went there, and they found healing in each other and you know, in the space that we created together, right? It is, it's not something I create for the person, it's something we create together, and I think that that co-creation of the healing space is really what allows them to heal. To answer your point on consent in that regard, we live in a society that unfortunately doesn't ask enough for consent about what it may be to be in relation or to touch on in, in, in any kind of like just friendlier manner. Um, you know, I always continually to ask anyone, can I give you a hug? Can I put myself in this space? And I think that it's really important to, to acknowledge that you have the right to tell people yes and no. Uh, and I want to just uh, advocate that really particularly for women who also are find themselves in positions where you feel like you are, are seen as someone, uh, just simply put, as a bitch, or if, if anything, if you do not open yourself up to someone um, and that you have no right to do such. Um, and I think that's really important that we really take in our own stance to say that 
I have a right to advocate for myself. I have a right to say to my, to anyone and give consent to myself and other people um, about really what is it means to receive and give touch. And I think it's just as empowering to say to someone, may I give you a hug, and just as it is to you to say yes or no. Um, and I think that that's one thing that we have to really acknowledge in this day and time of, um, you know, recognizing where, what kind of role we have for ourselves in, in the world and what kind of role we have for ourselves in advocating for our bodies as well as being in relationship with others. So another main component of the physical dimension of well-being is nutrition and what we feed our bodies, right? Um, and this, this one's near and dear to my heart um, because personally I've gone through a 10 plus year journey trying to figure out what foods my body likes and doesn't like and what foods um, work and don't work for my body. And, you know, it's really about taking time to be curious with your body. This beautiful creation um, knows so much more than we think it does. And when we sit there and, and really are patient with ourselves, patient with our body, and ask it, how, how do you nourish your body, right? Ask yourself these questions. How do you nourish your body? Do you eat in a rush? You know, we live in this very fast-paced society, and sometimes we don't stop and think about eating, and then we eat while we're driving, or we eat while we're working, or we eat while we're talking to a friend. Um, and we're not actually taking time, because we're distracted, right, to tap in and tune in to what is going on as we're eating. How is it impacting your body? Does it make you feel lethargic? Food should not make you feel lethargic. Um, and that's a big sign, right? Listen to those cues that your body is giving you. If you're rushing to the bathroom right after you eat, something's happening, right? What's happening? And, and stay open and curious. And you might not find the answer right away. And frustration may come up. Um, but stay with it, right? Stay with it and know that there are resources um, to, to help figure that out. And one of the things that we've incorporated is doing wellness consultations because, you know, as people who have gone through this journey ourselves, we know how hard it is. You know, some people say, eat me. Some people say, don't eat me. Some people say, dairy's good for you. Some people say, dairy's not good for you, right? Um, if you go and look at the American Heart Disease Association website, they recommend having beef. I don't know any cardiologist that would, you know, um, so there is a lot of uh, false information out there, and you have to do the work to decipher what is right for you. Um, you might try, you know, uh, eating according to your blood type. That might work for you. It might not. Um, you know, I have literally curated my own wellness plan because I've taken and snatched from all these different things, and I'm a vegan for many reasons. Um, and that's different from, you know, the blood type diet that says I should be eating chicken eggs every day. And um, you kind of have to curate it for yourself. And we're here to help you do that for yourself and, and do that with you. 
but really be gentle. I think that's the biggest thing is throughout this process, we have to be gentle and allow our bodies to teach us what we need to learn from it um, and be a student. I think that's, that's a big thing. Always be a student of your body and your spirit because your spirit also will, will guide you to know what, what's right for you. So the second dimension is the intellectual dimension, the mind. And this is really about thinking and living beyond boxes. And I know as a queer person, you know, we have reclaimed many labels and, and many boxes, but they are still labels and boxes. So there's labels like polyamorous and GNC and gender queer and gender fluid. And a lot of the time, you know, someone says, I'm this, and they feel stuck in that. They feel like they have to embody and be whatever society or, you know, an article online says that that is. Um, and so much of, of what we know to be true from our own work is that that's not a stagnant thing. We are ever changing, and it's actually through shifting and morphing who we are that we truly come to the purest of our identities and the fullest form of self-expression. Uh, just because you identified one way last year doesn't mean you have to identify that way this year. And really allow yourself to live into that fluidity. Another part of this is questioning our beliefs and having deep self-inquiry. Again, staying curious, one, about your body, two, about your mind, right? How are you thinking about yourself? Um, how are you using self-inquiry as a tool for self-development? I worked with a client this past year, and I'm still working with, with that person, and a great example is that they have identified as transgender for many years. They have walked in this world as transgender for many years. However, when we began doing our work together, we came across a subconscious belief that they did not believe they were transgender. And the way that it kept showing up in their lives was that they constantly got mislabeled uh, pronouns. So people, you know, they identify as they. People would say she or he. And there would be this rage that would rise in them. Like, how dare they question my identity? And they would get so hurt every time it happened uh, to the point where it was literally throwing them off their entire day, the, the entire week, the entire month at times. And what we did was look at their subconscious belief, and subconsciously they didn't believe it. So we realigned that belief, 
with a process called Psyche that I, I perform and practice with my uh, clients. And once they realign the belief to I am trans, I believe I am trans, people all of a sudden stopped questioning their identity. And that's how it ripples, right? All the work we do in here ripples out. Um, and when people did misgender them, they weren't getting upset in the same way, right? Like it still was like, here I go again, correcting this person for the 14th time, right? So there was a little annoyance, but it wasn't like this deep wound that um, kept getting cut open every single time. Now to the third dimension, the emotional dimension. And the emotional dimension is understanding and respecting your feelings, your values, and your attitudes. It's learning to manage your emotions in a constructive way, right? A lot of us are out here uh, wearing our emotions on the outside. And when our emotions on the outside clash with others, it's not pretty, right? And um, we can hurt each other, right? There's the saying, hurt people hurt people. And this is really, the emotional dimension is where the emotional healing of trauma comes in. It's where we address, you know, our deepest wounds, both on a collective level and an individual level, knowing that when one of us is oppressed, there is a collective impact. When we do our work, we do see a ripple in the world, right? And vice versa, right? When something happens collectively, like an energetic shift, like Mercury retrograde, um, which we just entered in Scorpio, we feel it on the individual level. So, you know, know that whatever work you're doing individually is going to impact those around you and for the better, right? When we shine our light, we automatically, like this is innate in us, we automatically allow and give others permission to shine their light too. Now some tools that might be helpful in managing your emotional wellness that we found to work, breath work, meditation, and meditation can look a thousand different ways from walking in the sun and just focusing on the warmth on your skin to sitting in a corner by yourself, you know, chanting a mantra, to reading a book quietly and really reflecting as you read um, and, and how is that impacting you. Journaling is another great tool and earlier this summer we had a great speaker here on the power of journaling and how healing that is. Um, counseling therapy or coaching, any one of those, depending on what you like. Um, I personally recommend coaching. I'm a little biased. Um, and then some tools for healing your trauma. I do recommend touch therapy. 
Somatic healing work is another one that's really profound. Uh, I'm a pr practitioner of a process called repetitive behavior cellular regression. And that really takes you to the deepest cellular level where your trauma is lying and allows you to unlock it, heal it, and release it. And also doing the work to raise yourself, raise your wounded child. You know, we all went through wounds, whether it was we got told no at the candy store too many times and we internalized that we are not worthy of candy or worthy of whatever X is, um, to deep trauma with our parents, feeling alienation and otherness, uh, not, not belonging. All of these are wounds, uh, both collective and individual, that impact us. And if we don't do the work to raise ourselves, uh, to heal those wounds, uh, we're, we're really some children in adult bodies. So do, do that work for yourself and see how, how you grow. So a question for the audience. Uh, when you are questioned, how do you realign yourself with who you know yourself to be? One second. <laughs> um, I just really have to take a time out. Like, I just have to step away and be like, you know who you are. You know what you bring to the table. Stay true to you. And even as it's like, that's just like five minutes, it really, really changes. Because if not, I just go from repetition of action. Like, I'll get an attitude just because I've always had an attitude. <laughs> they be like, that's not what you really like. like. You feel for that person. You hurt for that person. And you just getting an attitude with them, that's not really you and that's not what you know they need or things like that. So I just have to stop and take a moment. Thank you. Anyone else? Is that a hand? Um, I think this can be dangerous, but also very useful. I think isolation, because I know a lot of the time when I am not feeling like myself, it's because I'm internalizing too many of the ideas and I guess energies of other people that I've been spending a lot of time with. So like taking the time to come back to who I am and try and figure out what I need, how to curate my space better when I go back. I think that's something. Yeah, like making sure that what I'm seeing, I mean, my peers and I are on social media a lot, seeing if the people I follow are making me, I mean, I know they can't technically make me feel anything, it's just how I'm reacting to that, but seeing how their presence and their energy makes me react and maybe start doing things outside of who I believe myself to be. And in like the actual physical world, I... Make sure that the people that I'm spending the most time giving the most energy to are people who aren't going to drain me and are reciprocating the good energy. Like, yeah. So good, thank you.
so one, I, I thank you for that. And I also just want to like highlight that like social media is a lot about comparing yourself to a lot of other people. Um, and I think that it's unfortunately that we live in a day and time in which we think that like those are the true lives of someone. It's only the highlights of their good days. <laughs> it's not actually the bad, uh, the ugly, uh, when we really think about it. Um, nobody really puts up like, you know, I just don't really feel great today, or I feel like, you know, fat, or I feel uncomfortable in my body, and that's never really highlighted on social media, and so that really only gives you the components of one part to someone's life. Um, one thing that I personally do, I'll, I'll shout out to Brene Brown, is that she has a mantra that says, you know, don't shrink, don't blow up, stand in your sacred space. And that's something that I do on a regular basis just to like remind myself about, one, how to react to that person, because sometimes that really what comes down to it. Um, somebody may be questioning um, just whether it be my, my gender or whether it be questioning just me as a, a black human in this world. I recognize that sometimes it's just really important for me to say uh, I'm not going to shrink or, or belittle myself. I'm not going to blow up and make them think that just because, you know, I get angry or whatever that it automatically stereotypes me as being like the angry black woman or running rat person. So I'm not going to, I'm not even give you that satisfaction. That's first and foremost. And then really standing in my sacred space is really looking at it from the perspective of this life. I am fine just the way I am. I am okay. I am, I'm not here to one, um, serve you in any kind of manner or even satisfy what you think that I should be. Um, and I think that it's really important for you to know for yourself is um, how I know the goodness of me. I know that where I am in good relationships with people, um, my best self shows out. Um, and I also know that despite it all, um, I don't have to prove nothing to you, you know? And I really think that's really something that we need to hone into on a regular basis is it's like you really, this person does not, if I, I tell at least people don't pay your bills, I can't help you really. I don't, I, you can't do nothing really for me. But I also, that kind of brings us into the, the, uh, the social dimension of one of the eight dimensions and recognizing that um, when you walk with the wise, you will become wise. I think that it's really important for you in your own uh, circle. Think about it. If you are not seeing people in your circle that don't inspire you to be better than where you are, you need to change your circle. That's just plain and simple. If that's somebody not in your group that is just tolerating you, and you feel like just sometimes I just, I just go over there, we're just here to fill space, because um, I'm lonely, then it's something that you really want to consider. Uh, is that something that's really healthy for you? Maintaining healthy relationships is, is a, you should enjoy being with one another. You should realize that when it's time to also, as just as much as we are evolving creatures, it's also a time to sometimes change your social circle. Uh, I know that we have many people who, you know, well, we've been friends since the eighth grade, you know, and, you know, but I, and I love her and I love this person and I think that this is the person, but that person is still stagnant in their, their sense of mind or their view. And as, may, as hard as it may be, taking space from somebody sometimes is for your best wellness and best health. And I think that it's really important for in our social settings is to really evaluate them, truly evaluate where you have um, not been 
fed or pushed or challenged in your social settings. Um, because at the end of the day, we're here to grow. We're here to be in relationships to grow. And most importantly, we're here to be reflections of one another. And reflections of one another in terms of if that person bothers you, what is it about that person that is kind of really what's going on inside of you? And also, what is it about the, um, the issue that is triggering you that is making that person upset. <laughs> and I think that it's really important for us to have those kind of like self-evaluation and conversations with ourselves um, to really truly understand that that dimension of uh, being in a social setting is, is really important, just as much as being in a, in a state of isolation can be just as much as important. But it's really important to recognize that like whatever social setting that you create for yourself is really much important, a part of your wellness as well. So that also kind of brings you into the spiritual dimension. And spirituality, which is um, one, to seek faith, to seek a faith that will sustain you, a purpose that will guide you, and claim value that will make others respect you. And to create meaning for your life so you are that, in a, that, that your soul is in alignment with both the physical and spiritual world. This process can be done with or without organized religion. As this dimension is not about you just finding ritual, but it's also about making sure that your spirit is very much in alignment. Um, whether you see that as with one as God, or whether you see that as what, with the universe or ancestral forces, I do believe it's just as important to be in conversation with your ancestors to talk about what, you're, what were you called to bring forth. I think for personally me, my bloodline is the reason why I'm still here and in, in, in existence. Um, and that's what is my work. That is why that I continue to push things forward, and that is why we're here. Um, and that's the reason why the sacrifices of your ancestors that came before you help you to continue to understand and align you with the day-to-day -day work in which you're supposed to bring into this world. Um, and I also just wanted to highlight that by staying in toxic social settings, we are subconsciously telling ourselves that our wellness doesn't matter. If you continue to put in yourself in spaces that it just is uncomfortable or somebody is hurting you, um, it really, you're telling yourself, I don't matter and my feelings don't matter. And that's unfortunately a way of self-deprecating. I like to just basically say self-sabotage. When you put yourself in positions where you people are just tolerating you and you're not having your whole self actually be seen. So. As we move forward, we'll go into one of the biggest areas that I personally have struggled um, in growing up in the church. I personally, I recognize that, um, you know, the organized religion has had its many different social, I like to say, uh, uh, social, it, it, it could be like a social country club, churches can be, <laughs> you know, somebody, ha there's, there's a lot of appearances that have to be shown in churches. And that can really disconnect you from the really, the big issue of what does it mean for your spiritual alignment. Um, and that can really be confusing 
You know, as a kid, you're like, you know, what, what's the right way to sit and the right way to stand and who you're supposed to look at and who you're not supposed to look at. <laughs> it's a frustrating situation, but when you think about it, you're really supposed to be in church to actually find a deeper incense and, and a renewing factor for yourself. Um, all those things can be very distracting. Um, and, and I grew up in a church, you know, that's just plain and simple. And I saw that what made it really hard for me to like maneuver my own understandings of like, is this really for me or is this really for y'all? You know, is this really for this, who's being seen and who made this or whatnot? And I think that what's really important for us to really think about and, and really aligning ourselves with spirit and aligning ourselves with God as you see it is really thinking for yourself of like, I truly deserve the option of being loved just as nothing else, nothing more. I truly deserve the option of being in a relationship with someone or something or some being that wholeheartedly accepts me because I was made and this is who I am. And so if we align ourselves with the, the larger intentional spirit of that, we have more self-acceptance for ourselves, we have empathy for other people, and we also realize that on a larger level, we see humanity as it is as something that is a beautiful creation. And that's truly what I see as the image of God, is that whole and the connective. So if my one being and self is a part of that, that manifestation of God, then the humanity in this whole, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that divinity. I'm a part of that wholeness. And I think that that is a spiritual dimension is recognizing that your true self is a part of the means of nature is a part of the means of community. Um, and that's what keeps us going. And I feel like, uh, I think Fannie Lou Hamer says, it's like if, we're, if one of us is not free, not all of us are not free. So that is really taking, and I say that just as a part of yourself. And so if, if your spirit isn't free, you can't walk in this world as a free person. You can't talk, you can't really talk, you can't um, allow yourself as a whole to say, hey, I, I deserve to be here. I deserve a right to talk. I deserve a right to be in community. Um, and my being is not only just not something that should be tolerated, but it's actually a valued tool for the, for the nature of the system in which we work in. So. so vocation, I think that spiritual aligns us with vocation. What is our vocation? What are we called to do? What are our gifts? What do people remember you for? Um, I think we are not, when our time and a praise of our lives of like, what in the world am I doing, Lord, in this thing called life? Uh, but the vocational dimension is our way for us to prepare and plan to participate in work that provides us personal satisfaction. It's life enrichment. It's consistent with our values, our goals, and our lifestyles that we want to create for ourselves. This is not just about a job or simply what you do to make money. This is a, spirit, this is a dimension that helps you Find where your interests and your passion align so that you align that passion with the day-to-day -day grind to see the fruits. And I see the fruits as, as money, as really as looking at it as the, the dollars and the cents. How are you going to align your interests, your hopes, your goals, and really align it to a space that's actually going to give you the fruit of money, that's going to give you a space? So that is really saying, like, I am this person. I have a story to tell, and that story is going to help others tell their stories too. 
And I think we are in a day and time of like, we have many as social media, we have many as places, but one of the things that who have the highest following are the most vulnerable people, the people who tell their true stories for themselves, the people who actually open themselves up and are in true relationships with the people that they are, their, their fan base, you could say. And that's the person who actually gets the most persons to follow their story, not just what they have offering to the world, but also what they are able and who they have become in that journey. I think that as queer cultures, we are really in this position to say, I am working on becoming our, we're both working on becoming our best selves. And we're just asking people to come on that same kind of journey with us. And that is a continual and growing effort. And that is the work that we're going to do. And I think that the vocation is recognizing that it's not an issue of what you don't have, but it's what the issue of what the possibilities are. It, we've sit in a lot of times, and a lot of times we think about, uh, well, I don't have enough of this, or time, or effort, or I don't have enough money to do these things. But it's really thinking about it in the possibilities of how much you have already. Your stories, your wounds, or your, your resources. Your resources to the larger component of what you're supposed to be doing. Um, if you don't go through the pain, you can't write the book. If you don't go through the issues of the you can't you can't really tell the person and actually give the trauma. And I think that uh, I'll give the trauma healing. You know, I have gone through my own personal understandings of trauma, and I recognize that I had to go through those understandings of trauma to actually be in relationship with others so they can see the same thing. And that is really your work. Your work is to really. Uh, disconnect from the trauma that was and really create healing paths to the, to, the, to the future self and the healing that that can be. And I think that's really important for us to recognize is that is the work, is unpacking that. So unfortunately, we in the workplace and many places are not really um, for queer people. Um, there's a lot of violence and the discrimination that happens in um, workplace today. I know that in the state of Georgia, it, you are still able to get fired if you are um, queer or identify as sexual or identify outside of the sexual norms of normality. You can get fired at this day and time. So we invite you to assess that if you're in a safe working place. Are you celebrated for your identities and gifts? Um, we recognize that you will spend at least one third of your life at work, which is 90,000 hours of your lifetime. <laughs> and that is important for you to be in a consistent environment that's, that actually holds you in a space that keeps you not only so, um, supported, but also motivated to be your best self. Because you can't create great work if you don't feel good yourself. You can't actually give your 100% if you're not at work and feeling your, your full self to be. And so we really want to encourage people to actually evaluate that. What does that mean? If I don't feel comfortable, if I have anxiety every time I go to work, that's a clue that you may want to figure out that this is not the thing for you. And it even says that like you literally will, um, I was like, I've read many articles of like, if you continue to go to work into a work environment that does not feed you, you're actually doing yourself more harm than actually just even like self-surviving and, and, and actually just giving yourself money. You will actually do yourself more harm. And so I think that it's really important for us to recognize that um, it, it's, that is your purpose is to walk into that kind of work and to really make sure that you are in a state of healing and not in a state of trauma every time that go, you go to work. And I think that that kind of just leads us down to what are our financials. So financial, our financial dimensions. 
And I think that I've had my own personal morning, st morning story. I think that um, we should also think about what is your own money story? How do you relate to money? Money is definitely a spiritual being. It's, it's something that we use as a tool. Um, have you how have you identified with money? If you grew up in poverty and you always felt like you were literally living from paycheck to paycheck, um, or you figure that you never had enough, you sometimes live in a state of scarcity at all times. And that just means like you have a sense of like, I can never have enough, or it will never be what I need to actually get something done. Um, and I also think that like if you have a, a mentality of thinking money is bad or only a, you know rich people who need money all the time or have it, at, but not seeing it as a tool or a means for option, you'll always have this money story that always kind of like, in a lot of ways, as they say in the law of attraction, deter money from you rather than actually pulling it in, especially into the resources that you need. So I think that to manage your money as a resource, you have to think about what does it truly mean. I know personally in my own goal, I do not want to be 80 being a Walmart greeter. I do not want to do that. <laughs> so what am I going to do right now in the now to actually see on the, long, on the longevity of making sure that I have the things that I need for the, long, for the long run? And I think that's also thinking about what do you need and what you just think is a, is, is, um, as a want. And are you spending money just to fulfill um, a desire or a void, or you're spending money just to actually have it as a means for a tool for the things that you want in your life? And I think that those are the questions. Um, and also, we have to really think about it as we think about health. Due to the lack of healthcare coverage that we have even in the state of Georgia, um, and services that are, that are uh, the lack of services that are available to the communities in itself, um, one of the things that make people go bankrupt the fastest is medical health care. Um, and if you start in form of point of poverty and you really don't even either seek health care or you have a part in which you go to the doctor and usually you're at the last wits and you're in an emergency room and getting bills that are $10,000, $20,000 because you've took the last resort and going to the hospital. So I think that it's really important for us to really think about, take the time to get healthcare. I just took, you know, whether it, we're in the open enrollment is that season, but I just say it, it's something that you need to actually be actively doing and trying to find ways to get resources to help you in the long run. And then also, just as much as we talk about all the dimensions, is really making sure that you're taking care of your health and in the ways in which you eat and your medicines for the long run. Um, your food is your medicine, literally. And that's what will actually keep you and do preventative health care for yourself rather than put yourself in positions where you are at the mercy's ends of the medical health system. Um, so I also think about it for people who are perhaps they are ready to start testosterone, people who are transitioning or perhaps who are starting estrogen. Um, or perhaps you just really actually want a life coach or a healthcare or wellness provider, it's really important for you to start to budget for those things, just as you would budget for your lights and gas bill or whatever the things of that nature. Um, you, have to, you have to invest in yourself just as much as your health. Um, you invest in uh, stocks and bonds in the long run. You recognize that like, your health is something that you can definitely invest in as well. And that leads us to our last dimension, which is the environmental dimension. So the environmental dimension is really understanding that your social, natural, and built environments affect your health and your well-being. Put simply, a toxic environment leads to poor quality of wellness. 
there are many layers to your environment starting where you live. Removing yourself from a toxic living situation is the biggest way that you can control your environment. There are really drastic numbers out there of how many people are living in toxic environments, and that is a day-to-day -day assault on your wellness. And personally, a year ago, I found myself exiting a very toxic relationship with a narcissist. I did not know he was a narcissist at the beginning of it. Um, and it took a huge toll on my health. Mind, body, spirit, all of it. My entire wellness was like on the floor. And it took an entire year of diligent intention and work to heal from that experience, to love myself more, not less, for having been through that experience. Um, and in the process, I'm amazed at how my being has transformed. I lost 68 pounds, which I never knew was possible. Um, I learned to set healthy boundaries, and I truly encourage you to look at your boundaries around all of these dimensions and really see where am I uh, breaking my own boundaries. That's the first level, right? Like we break our own boundaries. Um, where am I not naming my boundaries? And find ways to make your space, your community, and your environment more suitable for your well-being. And that will change, right? But do a check-in. Maybe it's you, you write it in your calendar or you set an alarm every day and you just do an assessment. Um, maybe it's a quarterly assessment. You know, some of us like to schedule things. Some of us are more free-spirited. But remind yourself to do these check-ins with you and really look at all of these areas um, in your environment. Uh, especially living in the South, I know as a New Yorker who moved here two years ago, um, it is tough living in the South. It is not the most queer-friendly region um, of the country. And we know that that has an impact on the collective. However, there are havens, you know, Atlanta, I would say, is a haven for queer people. And there are other havens throughout the South. Durham is another one that we got to visit. And, you know, sometimes you do need to move because where you are is too small-minded. And plan for that financially and, and what does that look like for your life to, to shift. Um, but also, you know, Seek out connections, whether it's online or in person. You know, find someone. There ha you know, there, there's always one person in, in, you know, the vicinity of 100 people near you who can identify with you and who can connect with you and support you and, and be um, a better environment. And... Uh, you know, what, what are some of the ways that you can improve your environment? Anyone? Question to the audience. I see thoughts, thoughts bubbling. 
Well, um, I know for me, and I've been feeling it a lot, it's my connection with the water. Like, I really like the water. And not only do you, you are forced to connect with nature, but you have to listen to your body. And, um, and I miss that. And, um, and so I'm like, like in my dreams, like I keep thinking about the water and the water says I haven't been there in the water and you know it's like you work out you connect you quiet yourself and it's my time so for me I need to get more into the water <laughs> but that's just me <laughs> beautiful yeah I know all the water babies if you're if you're not by the water you're like wait I'm a fish out of water um so you know there's many ways you can step out into nature you can um like I said, move from where you currently are, really connect and, and tap into what, what will serve you the best um, and honor those things in the moment, in the now. Um, one thing I do is that if you're in the house throughout the day and you're not getting enough sunlight, we have to recognize that vitamin D is really important. <laughs> Going outside will change your mood. Um, and just like sometimes, whether it just be in your, your office and you have horrible lighting in your office and you need to just actually go outside and actually be in the sunlight, or you just need to be outside and have the wind touch your face and remind yourself that you're in alignment with nature as well. I think that's really important about changing your environment. Um, so those small little things are just like get out, do something, move yourself, um, is also really just as important for changing your environment. So to conclude, um, the eight dimensions of wellness, just to recap, is physical, emotional, intellectual, vocational, financial, spiritual, social, and environmental. They play on each other. And when one is out of alignment, the effect will rip into other areas of your life. This is why it's so important to look on the eight areas of, and assess them re regularly. Set intentions, hold yourself accountable to them, and find resources that support you, truly living into an authentic sense of, se sense of self. Excuse me. Stay open and true to yourself, and realize that the queer community is so diverse. We all have our true, unique needs, um, and we want to honor them and find ways to, for you to meet them and your well-being. And above all else, know and walk as you, the person that you know yourself to be. For daily tips and reminders to what it means to be in alignment, follow us at Queer Cultures on Instagram and Facebook. Also, you can follow and stay tuned uh, as we are developing a eight-week course defining real wellness and how to be honest enough with yourself to create a life of wellness. Also, if you're interested in a wellness consultation, please come up at the end and fill out a form on our laptop. You can also find the form online at queercultures.com. You will see the tab that says wellness events and on there you will find the form. We look forward to staying connected with you and thank you for tuning in. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.